Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from translational development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Emerging Biotech Leader podcast. Um, I'm here today sitting in for Kim Kushner again. Um, It's awesome to be back on the podcast with my colleague, Ramin, who is our um, steadfast leader um, consistently on the podcast. We have um, another colleague of ours joining us today, Jackie Levine, who has also been with the firm for for quite some time. So we're, we're so happy to have you, Jackie. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, awesome. So um, today we're going to um, recap on an episode that we we previously um, we previously hosted, where we talked a lot about um, launch strategies in in the context of biotech and kind of small pharma, um, and we reflected a lot on how it's very different when you're approaching a launch um, when you're in these smaller organizations um, where the resourcing can be really different, leadership is very different, teams um, have different levels of experience. Um, And I think what we really took away from that, that it it does require some very specific skills, um, communication styles, and you have to take a really different strategy um, when you're approaching that launch. So to kick us off, I'd love to hear from Ramin and Jackie, who I know you guys have been involved with a couple different launches in both small and small and large pharma about what are some of the things that stand out to you um, that differentiate a launch in a small biotech versus what we see in large pharma today? Great. Thanks, Adriana. Um, One of the things that's really different, you know, in biotech versus a big pharma is the availability of resources, right? So there's, there's a number of different constraints that they have. And when you look at that, you really need to take a risk-based approach. You can't do everything all at once. So thinking strategically, planning, you know, through the life cycle of what would be needed, as well as being able to account for some of the ups and downs, right? It's not always a smooth sailing, straight line path. So being able to address those different, you know, inflection points, being able to, you know, resource accordingly, flex in, flex out, um, but really focus on what are the most important priorities and make sure you're addressing those, the the must-haves versus the, the nice-to-haves. Ramin, you must have a great perspective on this coming from larger pharma and then transitioning into to small pharma of late. Yeah, for sure. No, um, I agree with I agree with you, Jackie. I mean, first of all, I think that launching a product is the most exciting part of being in the pharma. Everything is uh, everything is fresh. You bring in a new product to the market and bring a new product to the patients. There's a lot of excitement internally, cross-functionally, within medical affairs, within clinical, within commercial. So that's that's really a, a piece that I really enjoy in launching a product. Um, I mean, it is very multidimensional, right? It's not just one focus, and it's definitely not a straight line. I think one thing that I notice in the in the smaller biotech companies bringing a product, with regards to the resources, you really have to be hyper focused on your execution plan, and you have to sequence them, right? You don't have you don't have the the resource that a larger pharma will have to put in like maybe 10, 20, 30 people behind behind a launch of product or millions and millions of dollars. So you have to be really agile within your organization, making sure that you you focus on key areas that are incredibly important to execute flawlessly, right? And then build on that and the next thing and the next thing. 
One thing that I've learned that is probably, at least for me, it's been my experience, has been the core of a launch is the, is the communication, is the communication platform. What are we going to say about our product? What is our compelling clinical story? And who are we going to say that to? Because that story perhaps will change a little bit depending on your audience. If you're talking to the investors, you're talking to the patients, you're talking to the KOLs or clinicians and, and what you may have. So that that's a piece. I think that's the core core. If you get that right, right off the gate, which also forces the organization to have uh, cross-functional alignment with your clinical colleagues, with regulatory, with commercial, uh, perhaps even in smaller companies with the CEO and the C-suite within the company. Uh, from there on, things are a little bit easier, not necessarily that it's going to be a smooth sailing, but uh, but for sure, that's that's one piece that it takes a lot of effort and energy to make sure that you get it right. Yeah, and it, it, it makes me think that even though we say, you know, small pharma, biotech, they're lean um, and they have maybe less resources or smaller teams, there's still this need for hyper-coordination and communication, as you suggested. Um, so you can't lose those principles just because you're small and you feel like a, a leaner team um, doesn't need all that infrastructure, but it, it is still very critical. And, you know, we see oftentimes with clients that they're used to operating um, with individualized functions that are very productive, but when you get them all together, it can be very challenging to keep them coordinated and aligned to kind of the end goal and the end game, which is that launch. Um, and so it's really about, you know, creating many more communication channels and pathways so that you're facilitating like a very symbiotic team um, with clear objectives and plans. And um, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about um, this risk-based approach and, and some of the things that we're hearing that clients are really focused on. Um, you know, in the last episode, we did mention like having that uh, patient in mind and that patient as, and the customer at the end, like that means that we need to be you know, really thinking about patient advocacy. How are we talking about this amongst those groups? How are we talking about it among, amongst HCPs and, and other stakeholders? So we'd love to get your perspective on kind of how those um, other stakeholders um, need to be prioritized as a part of a, a launch approach. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think some of that also depends on, you know, is it a rare disease? Is it going more more mass market? And like, what are the nuances of it? Because it is going to be different depending on the scenario. But, you know, regardless, making sure, you know, that the patient is it's is the forefront of why we're all doing this, right? So that is, is critically important. But making sure that there is that coordination on the ground, that the folks that need to be aware are aware that there's the support and the training, the medical, you know, message messages are, are coming across um, and that there is that alignment, you know, both internally and externally so that you can you can have that focus. No, I, I have the same experience. I think I think that the two main groups that you want to focus on, one is the one is the patient advocacy groups and the patients and the other one definitely your KOLs, right? And as I as I mentioned earlier, it, you can't have a what I call a shotgun approach that you you try to go after everybody with the same equal, especially in biotech, big pharma they have they have more resources. Also in big pharma, uh, even the resources in big pharma is still limited. It's not like it's it's unlimited, right? But at least for biotech, uh, staying really really close, having a, having having your ears to the ground of what the advocacy groups are saying, what's most important to the patients, what's really their unmet need, right? and doing the same thing with your thought leaders 
it's incredibly important, not just because you're listening to them, um, just for the fact that you want to listen and building relationship, it really goes way, way beyond that. You want to make sure that you translate those findings, those insights from them and bring it back to the organization, bring it back to the company, making sure that you're designing your clinical trials in a way that it will be meaningful to the patients. It will be meaningful to the clinicians and the, and the treaters. Um, and that's just one key aspect of it. I think if you focus on those two groups and being able to kind of be that almost a facilitator between the two, right, and bringing that to the organization and you keep an open mind that maybe if you had a certain way that you were going to do your study or you had a certain way that you were going to bring your market, your product to the market, you're going to have to keep an open mind that, well, that may not be the best way, especially in ultra rare disease and rare disease. Uh, you want to really stay close to um, to the patients and your thought leaders. They almost become your um, your um, your advocate. They become uh, you become uh, part of your team. You have to partner with them. It's way beyond just building a relationship because they're they're in it for a long time, and and so should you be in it for the long time with them. But I also think it brings a point of, you know, what can you do yourself internally and what do you need to rely on partners to do, right? Is you might not be able to do it all yourself, particularly in a resource, you know, constrained, very fast moving environment. So looking for the right partners that are, you know, aligned with your you know, strategic goals that can, you know, move very quickly, can flex in, can flex out um, and really help you achieve the results you're looking to, to achieve is really critical. Yeah. What I'm hearing from both of you is like how, um, launch planning can be so iterative almost um, that you need to be absorbing information from the field. You need to be, um, you know, assessing your launch plan. Do I need to bring in different partners? Do I need to bring um, different skill sets to bear at a certain period of time to effectuate a certain amount of change or or, or build momentum around an area? So it, it does um, it does sort of make you think it's, it's sort of a, a bit of a moving target and to an extent. Um, and it, you know, how agile you really need to be as a leader in that, in that type of environment. Um, you can't just, um, rest on, you know, specific principles or, or, or ways of working that you might've had in a, you know, kind of in a, um, you know, in a more resourced organization or, you know, just, uh, an organization with, uh, much more, um, skill sets to bear. So I'd love to talk and transition the conversation a little bit to some of the skill sets that you feel like leaders specifically in launch are, are really, you know, gravitating towards and really um, need to have to, to help accelerate and keep the keep the train moving for a launch. I, I think there's a number of different things that that are really important. One is to be able to think strategically, but also translate that into execution. And there's a number of different components of that. Um, Ramin, I think you hit on it um, earlier in our conversation, which was cross-functional alignment and communication. So tying that all together, making sure that as you're moving forward, that everyone's moving with you and there's an appropriate amount of transparency um, to, to make sure that the, the, the team and the external stakeholders and whoever else needs to be in the loop is. Um, and, you know, along the way, you know, if there are setbacks that you experience, how you manage through them, that you keep the teams engaged, keep the you know the other uh investors or other stakeholders engaged as you go through this this journey so i think those are a couple of things that are are really important and then also just being flexible being agile 
um, being able to to move move quickly as as things will 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 evolve, and you have to be prepared for almost um, you know a variety of scenarios and, and situations as they as they come about. Right. No, absolutely. I think one of the most important thing, and there's there's so many. Everything is so multidimensional, right? Uh, especially in small biotech, because yeah, you have to be you have to be really good at so many different things, right? And not just you personally, but also the team itself as well. One of the things that comes to my mind is that you got to have a you got to be a broad thinker. You got to think across your enterprise. You cannot just think about your own function. Right, you need to be an expert in your own function, without a doubt. That's a required. Uh, that's a requirement. But you also got to think about the entire company, and I think that that sometimes becomes a little bit challenging and a skill set that you may not have the chance to develop if you come from a big pharma, because big pharma has the experts in their own their own functions, and that's that's how they operate, and it and it really makes sense. But when you come to a smaller biotech company or a startup. You want to make sure that you're thinking across the enterprise. You're thinking about with your colleagues in regulatory, clinical, medical, commercial, uh, you know, CMC, and and all the different aspects. And and you want to have that. You, you want that to be something that you're interested in, and you are um, you are genuinely want to learn about in order to provide also your input and feedback. I think that's. That's one of the core that that is really important. The other skill set, and this is regardless of the company or the size, is the communication. Um, I think the communication skills uh, internally, I mean, externally, we already talked about how critical that is, but internally is probably even more critical. You have to be able to communicate your point, um, keep an open mind when people have feedback, that you can you can kind of listen to it and see if this is something that you can make your idea even better, or maybe you have to push back and educate your colleagues that this is the way that you need to be taught about. And this also all the way up goes to the board too, because in the smaller companies, you have a lot of opportunities to be in front of the board of directors, not necessarily in a bigger pharma. And, and the board is part of, part of your team. It's not board sitting on their own island. They're really hands-on and they're really participating with the rest of the organization, so how you communicate with them, and and uh, I know a lot of a lot of us have been invited to present to the board. What a slide deck do you take? What's important to them? What do you what do you focus on? What what points you bring up? Um, it's really really important. And I know Adriana, you work with a lot of the clients that that they have to present to the board, and, and I know it's going to be it's, it's a it's a haunting task sometimes, and it's very nerve wracking and. Uh, and not something easy to do. How how do you deal with that? How do you coach and and uh, work with some of the clients? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting when we were preparing um, for a previous episode. One of the folks we interviewed talked a lot about how um, a, a big focus of her is obviously she's built competencies, um, developing and and presenting to boards. She knows exactly. You know, we need to focus on two to three slides, main points, you know, direct, clear. Um, but the the things she's been working on the most lately is actually building up her teams to be ready for those types of discussions, because these are board members that are walking the halls, um, that are talking to team members that are, you know, that are obviously very savvy um, business leaders, but they want to hear it from the teams. And, you know, that's something that is very, very different in biotech than it is in, in other, uh, even I would 
say other industries um, where boards are high in the sky and they are completely removed from uh, completely removed from you know functional leads at, at best. So when we're when I'm working with clients, I'm always thinking about um, you know obviously who is my audience, this board member, what do they want to hear, um, but also you know what can I do to elevate. Um, elevate the person who's presenting this and showing that strategic point of view, um, but also not getting them in the weeds. And I think that that's something that a lot of our, our leaders struggle with is, you know, wanting to explain something um, in the most amount of detail that they possibly can, because they think that that's the way to understand it. Um, and when you're thinking about a launch, um, it's so intricate and it's so complex and there's so many different stakeholders. And even to the point you were making, Ramin, like, um, What's the difference between speaking to a KOL versus speaking to a PI versus speaking to um, an emerging leader in the field? And do we need to explain that to our board? Probably not. Um, we need to explain to them, these are the key messages. This is where we want to impact. This is who we want to influence. Um, so always trying to elevate the message, um, but also um, you know, elevating your team members as, as much as you can around that and giving them the experiences if, if you can, of course. Um, and I think that um, from the other folks we've spoken to, they're, they're very much focused on, um, especially in the biotech field, it's something that we hear all the time is like, how do we build skills amongst the folks we have around us? Because they are going to be rising up um, and we want to make sure they're ready and they're equipped um, because this is expected. Um, it's very much expected um, when you're at, you know, when you're in these um, organizations to be um, ready and able to present to boards, unlike I've seen in, in other industries. So it's been it's it's certainly nerve wracking. We've probably interviewed a bunch of people who have only presented to a few boards, like, you know, a handful, maybe. Um, and it's it's definitely it's a different leadership skill set. Um, you have to be able to elevate the message, certainly. For sure. And you have to be ready for, for unexpected, right? Because you have no idea uh, what what the board is going to ask uh, ask of you when, when you're in the front and you've got like 15 eyes on you, not not just the board members. Also, you've got the CEO, you've got the CFO. So the the, the room is very, uh, you know, great minds of the company that are actually in the room. One thing I remembered was, as you were describing, the first time I presented to a board, I I had like maybe like six minutes or seven minutes. Your presentation comes down to the minutes, not like maybe 15 or 20, right? Uh, and I must have done maybe a dozen or if not more rehearsal and prepping for that seven or eight minutes, making sure that every word that comes out of my mouth, it's... It's something not necessarily rehearsed because you're trying to tell them something that that they just need. You need remember your board members are not all familiar with whatever topic that you're talking to, right? Whether it's a scientific topic or whether it's focusing on on the commercial or whatever the case may be. You really want to make sure that you also have an opportunity to educate and sometimes on a certain topic with them, but you have a very limited number of the time. So preparation is probably the the best best solution and over preparing. Uh, for for board meetings and making sure your slides are also very very in sync and, and crystal clear without talking about a lot of different things that they may not even be interested in. Yeah, and I think that I I think we've 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 mentioned it on this episode already, but the stakes are never higher um, than when you're launching a product, and the board is going to ask really the tough questions to make sure you are 
um, capitalizing on this moment that you are making all the right moves. So it's it's so important to elevate that message and and deliver it with clarity. Um, but you have to have you know you have to have done your homework um, and you have to have you know, done the planning, done the critical thinking to have the right launch approach, depending on what your asset is, what your market is and who your customer is. So I think it's always, um, and I'd be curious to get your perspective on, it's always important to me to make sure that um, when I'm working uh, with clients is like making sure we have an aligned launch team, that everyone is working towards the same goal. And um, you know, uh, Jackie, B, I know you're working on a launch currently, and maybe you have some reflections on um, what what makes these launch teams successful, um, and what are some of the things that you try to instill um, to get that team, you know, energized around a specific launch goal. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And as you were um, talking about the the messaging for the board, you know, it's it's a it's a a, a clinical development organization is very different than a post-marketed organization, right? And making that transition, um, there's a lot of different skills, a lot of different um, capabilities, um, infrastructure that is that is needed. So to your point, having a really well thought out integrated launch plan across the different functions, making sure that people are aware of the different interdependencies and connectivity points is really, really critical. And I think, you know, we've touched upon some of the other points with, you know, communication and, and alignment, but I think really understanding what's required for launch and how that's different from being a clinical development organization is really critical um, because there's, there's you know, an opportunity to miss things or, or, or have some missteps and you don't want that. So all the pre-planning, again, is, you know, we talked about taking an approach um, that is, you know, focus on the most, uh, the most critical elements, but knowing what that plan is and making sure that if there are any gaps that need to be filled, that you have a plan to, to fill them. Yeah. There's definitely so many infrastructure changes that need to happen when you make that transition from a research focused organization to a, um, you know, post-marketing, um, organization. And I do think that sometimes that does get lost. Um, people are so focused on getting that launch ready. Um, and I think we try, and I try to emphasize with clients that, you know, you almost have to bake that in as part of your launch plan. You have to make sure your, your organization is ready to meet the demands of, of a post-marketing world, um, because that really puts your launch at risk if you don't have the appropriate infrastructure in place and compliant infrastructure. So it's, of course, like you're gearing up towards getting a product to market, but you also have to have an organization that's ready, um, you know, should it, you know, when it's there and it can operate at that you know, optimized level to the expectations of health authorities and others, because they will have different expectations. And that could jeopardize um, your launch if you're not if you're not ready, um, you know, from many different lenses, PV, medical affairs, and, and obviously commercial payers, etc. Um, anything to add on that, Ramin, you look like you were going to jump in. This is so, so true what you're saying. Uh, I think sometimes we confuse launching date and approval date. Right, uh, approval date when the product is becomes available, you know, obviously for the patients. Uh, but the launch of a product starts many, many months, if not a couple of years before that, right? So you have to have that mindset, right? 
and not confuse the two, right? And it's really easier, I think, for, especially, I mean, I've seen this in the big pharma or a small pharma, that we, we think about launch date is the date that the product is approved. So we always think, oh, we have time to do this, or we can do this later, or this is, right? So we kind of, it's not like that we're trying to procrastinate. There's just so many different things going on, right? That they just kind of get pushed out, pushed out, and then all of a sudden you see there's only four months to go or six months to go and, and before your approval date, and, and there's a lot of things that you haven't had a chance to think about, which is the point that both of you brought up, that you really need to be forward, forward thinker, right? You need to think about, you know, six months to a year ahead, that what it is that you're going to need even post-launch, right, after your approval date, whether it's the evidence generation that you need to start thinking about and what that plan would be, what are the unmet, what are the unmet data that you still need to have, for example, when you do come to the market that your clinical study perhaps did not had a chance or it wasn't designed to kind of provide, right? So you definitely want to think about beyond that, right? And sometimes that gets a little bit challenging. That's why I think it's really important to be sequential. You don't have to have all the bells and whistles to be extremely successful in your launch, right? You just need to be strategic, think across the organization and also execute seamlessly on, on the areas that are your priority. Um, if you focus on those, I think you have a much better chance for, for launching the product in a successful way. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that the, the work doesn't end once you launch a product is, is <laughs> what, what I think it you're is, saying, I mean. It's um, it's so beginning. exciting. And, and it's definitely <laughs> yeah. one of my passions in this area is, is launching a product, bringing it to the market. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really is sort of like leading into really that, that life cycle management um, and, and making sure that you keep thinking about the product. And as you said earlier, um, getting feedback from the field um, to augment evidence um, to continuously um, inform stakeholders internally and externally about um, the relevance of the product, um, whether it be, you know, through new data or real world evidence, et cetera. I think that those are some of the things that some of very forward leaning sponsors um, think about as even a part of their, um, you know, launch approach. Um, you know, what is that, that step even further? Um, well, this has been an awesome conversation um, about launching, launching in biotech. Um, thanks so much again, Jackie, for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. And, and thank you again to Ramin, um, our steadfast leader. Um, really appreciate everyone listening in. Um, hope you have a great afternoon. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at SSIStrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.